Feels like we're a smaller, cozier group tonight, so we can just talk amongst ourselves. <laughs> I, the reason I mentioned the, about the like a flock of geese uh, helping each other is recently I've been reading the lessons from geese, and maybe I'll share them with you before I get into my stray thoughts. Fact one about geese. As each goose flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the birds that follow. By flying in a V formation, the whole flock adds 72% greater flying range than if each bird flew alone. This is a Sangha teaching. People who share a common direction and sense of community can get where they're going quicker and easier because they're traveling on the thrust of one another. Fact two, this is where my uplift uh, came from. When a goose falls out of formation, it suddenly feels the drag and resistance of flying alone. It quickly moves back into formation to take advantage of the lifting power of the bird immediately in front of it. If we have as much sense as a goose, we stay in formation with those headed where we want to go. We are willing to accept their help and give our help to others. So to me, coming on Tuesday night is all about the facts about geese. It's all about flying together. I'll share the rest another night. because That's not exactly what I wanted to focus on tonight. Um, what I wanted to speak about tonight was something that uh, it probably is my nearest and dearest topic. Um, it is, um, last week I spoke about the Four Noble Truths and about the inevitability of uh, stress, uh, having to deal with things that are difficult to bear, and what uh, turns all of our deep, our inevitable stresses into suffering, into mental suffering, is, uh, is the uh, deeply conditioned habit of wanting things to be different than the way they are. And that expresses itself as in another inevitable part of our conditioning, part of our nature, which is to, um, which is to want pleasure, lots of pleasure, avoid pain, to want to become someone constantly working on ourselves to become, uh, and in that process of being working on becoming, we're often um, creating a lot of inner tension, and that tension then spawns a lot of, um, of psychological torment. Uh, it spawns a lot of thinking, and it spawns a lot of thinking about ourselves and, of course, about others. And this, um, 
this habit of thinking about ourselves especially uh, is part of being human but it is also a cause of uh, when the thoughts of ourselves are taken to be who we are uh, the thoughts of ourselves uh, when taken to be who we are uh, become the cause of a lot of suffering, a lot of torment. And we fall into, I think I may have mentioned many times, we fall into a case of mistaken identity. And why this topic is so near and dear to my heart is because what we often do at the point where we, where we are caught up in an internal dialogue repeating the same, many of the same thoughts over and over again. It's said that we do, that we have thousands, 65,000 thoughts a day and 90% of repeats from the day before. And a lot of that thinking is me thinking, is all about me. Everything is about me. If someone comes in and makes a lot of noise in the room, it's, it's about my practice. It's about affecting my meditation. It's all, everything, gets, everything gets oriented to what it means about me. And once we enter into that, the, what I call the case of mistaken identity, it's very easy for us, all of us, we didn't try to do this, but all of us miss, overshoot, neglect this, what the Buddha called this fathom long body. We neglect this body. We neglect the immediacy of our senses. We lose, we become, awareness becomes blighted out and we literally enter into a dream. And it's a, it's a, um, it's devastate. It has a devastating effect on our sense of well-being, on our bodies, uh, and our bodies cry out in anxiety, in fear, in tension, and our hearts get really tight, our bellies tight, our sphincters tight. Everything is calling out and saying, "Don't forget me." I live here. I am all here. I am never anywhere else. I've never been anywhere else but here. I've never been to the past. It doesn't exist. I have never been to the future. It doesn't exist. I've never even been in the present. That's just another idea. I am just awake and alive. And I want to see. I want to hear. I want to smell. I want to taste. I want to touch. I want to feel life. I don't want to miss it. That's what our bodies are crying out for. But because of a, um, a quirk of, our, of habit, of tendency, of karma, karma meaning the, the actions and, of our mind and the fruit of those actions and the, what the Buddha called the presence of of one particular mental factor, one, one part of our mental formations he called avijja, or ignorance, 
sometimes called wrong view, um, we tend to mistake that little internal version of ourselves that is pretty much going constantly, we mistake that for the real thing. And to me this is tragic because my experience, I know a lot of you, uh, I don't know all of you, but what I, what I know absolutely for sure, the ones I know well and the ones I don't know so well, I know absolutely without any question that whatever that version is that plays in your mind is an insult to what actually sits here. The living, magnificent, uh, unique, perfect expression of life that is each of us sitting here. There's not one person here that doesn't fall into that category of, of emaho, as they say in Tibetan, how amazing. There's not one person here that is anything short of, uh, of, of um, just the, the perfect expression of life with all kinds of problems. We don't want to forget that. But if each of us could actually stay, stay here for long enough, we would discover something quite profound in our hearts. We would, perf- we would find this tremendous capacity to connect, to love, to feel well, to feel enough, to be able to meet our difficulties, that, f- those first no- that first noble truth, to meet our difficulties with, with plenty of room, with less, much less reactivity, with a capacity to turn whatever it is that's happening, whatever's happening right in the here and now, turn it into, into love or turn it into compassion or turn it into wisdom and turn it into having a good time. We can all do that. But because of our habit, because of that second noble truth, that, that persistent tendency to want things to be different than the way they are, to react to the stimuli that are presenting itself, react to the six basic experiences that are repeating themselves over and over, because really that's all there is. The totality of our life is six experiences. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. That's it. That's all. If we could really just stay with those, with that sense of immediacy, our life would be way, way workable. Very workable. But our mind is in the habit of reacting to these. And we can become very, move very far afield, far away from what's real, what's true, and live in our imaginations and especially the imagined versions of ourselves that are, that are constantly in a state of um, disease. That version in our mind is, is busy a lot um, catastrophizing, complaining, c- 
comparing, comparing, so much comparing, so much making up this little game. It's not a game because it's so painful, but it is, a, it is unreal. The, the tendency of our mind, which is just so universal, the Buddha called it mana or conceit. It's the conceit of, of elevating ourselves, Elevating ourselves, saying, and of course our body forms with that sense of I'm, I'm higher than you. I'm sitting higher than you, so therefore you should think well of me. This is an imaginary, I've just made up myself as elevated. Or you may say, I'm lower than him. I'm sitting lower, so I'm, he's sitting up there, so he must know more than me. And then a little story goes about how I am somehow less than. So the Buddha talked about uh, atimana, this, this inflation view, and amana, the deflation view, and then mana, the equality view, constantly measuring, am I, am I, am, am I equal to that person, or am I... Yeah, I want to make sure I'm at least equal to that person. All of this... What we call in what's in Yiddish is called mishigas. All this mental torment describes someone who doesn't even exist. It's the imaginary version of ourselves. It's just that one just isn't there. Yet every one of us, whether it's through the comparing mind or the or the catastrophizing mind or the the doubting mind or whatever it is, we fall into a case of believing that that's who we are. We take the ideas of ourselves to be the reality. Just like the, a thought of your mother is not your mother, a thought of yourself is not yourself. It just isn't. It's a thought. It describes, it approximates, it, it points to something that's going on, but it's such an exaggeration, such an elaboration, that it misses the real deal. I, I heard, I just led a retreat up in, in Canada and I heard different people describing their experiences of the hindrances and one that I've heard many versions of over the years and I heard one that was like this on the retreat but some, you're, you may be sitting here tonight and you have an achy back and a lot of people have back issues. But it starts with the unpleasant, some kind of unpleasant experience. It could be the pleasant experience just spawns a whole desire and what you have to, what, how you need, you want, you have to have whatever that is to be happy. But often it's, when we sit, we experience, if you sit long enough, the first insight knowledge is always some kind of what we experience is bad news. Something's uncomfortable. Either our mind is just racing or our body hurts or we're restless or agile. but so many cases people experience knee pain and and in the case of low back pain so it starts with a little sensation in the back and this happens to us every day of our life in one form or another a little sensation arises in the back and it's unpleasant but that unpleasant which is, if, we, if there's really clear comprehension of the sensation itself and the behavior of that sensation, it's just sensation. 
And from a distance, it looks like pain, right? It looks like, uh uh-oh, my back hurts. That that first uh uh-oh moves the attention away, a little farther away from it. And the farther the proximity, the farther away from the, the the unpleasantness we go to anything, the farther we get from the actuality of what's there, the more it appears monolithic, more it appears as it's solid. Of course, if you could really stay with that, stay with that uh, sensation, it starts as unpleasant, and then it gets a little bit more subtle, then it's aching, and then it may be stabbing, and it may be burning, it may be squeezing, it may be searing, it may be cutting, it may be vibrating, pulsing, and then if you get close enough sometimes, what happens? Poof, gone. You can't even find anything that you call pain. But because of our tendency to move quickly into reaction, it's part of the law of of what happens when there isn't, when there's no mindfulness to mitigate the process. That initial unpleasant turns into uh oh, and the uh oh produces a little tension. And then this little story goes, uh-oh, my back hurts. My back hurts. Now, there's nobody's back who hurts. There is aching, and the consciousness of there, and there's the knowing of aching. The my back hurts is a story. It's maybe a, a, a worthwhile story if I was going to tell somebody what was going on and had to describe and had to use language for what had gone on during that particular period or what it, maybe I was doing it out loud. And so conventional language would say, my back hurts. You with me so far? But really there's nobody there. You can go into that sensation all day and not find any self in there. And you could scan this whole body and you not, wouldn't find any self in there. You'd find a lot of sensation. And then you'd find, um, yeah, but no, no self in that. There's no mind in that. So the mind and the me is a little extra elaboration on, it's the psychological or the thought process around that. But let me get back to how this, how the six experience, or this sense experience turns into, uh, to torment. And how we can actually begin to track this in our own life. Because the key is, you won't stop this, this mistaken version of yourself playing in your mind. But you will begin to see the difference between the mistaken version and the immediate experience that you're having. And the pain that comes from getting caught up in those different ideas. I'm not enough. I'm less than. I'm better than. Or, and in this case of the back pain, it starts with aching. In its simplicity, it's just aching. But then it's, my back hurts. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, my Lord. My back hurts again. The last time I meditated, my back hurt. And that time, my back hurt for months. This time, it could be years. 
you know, I, everything I try, everything I try, turns into some kind of aching. And this is now turning out to be just like the other times that I've tried things that are new and things that people tell me are good for me. And, you know, it, my life is, is really, it's really one big disappointment because it always turns out this way. And I, you know, but they, told, they tell me that if you do a lot of yoga, maybe it, it's better. And, you know, some people think Sufi dancing is much more... So that whole drama ensues, and with the imagined me as the center of the whole drama. Now remember, that person that's being created doesn't even exist. It's just a, it's a little story with, with imaginary me, and uh, who's tormented by this aching back. And what actually happened? What actually happened? Absolutely nothing happened except aching. It's remarkable. But that, unfortunately, that aching turned into me, which then left me, led me into this world of catastrophizing, worrying, complaining, judging, doubting, fearing. And what happens when, that, when we fall into that case of mistakenly believing those thoughts? Our body just shrinks in tension. It just becomes, um, it becomes incarnated as that person. And what's lost then is that, um, is that beauty of who and what we are when we're present, when we're truly present. When we've stepped out of the tangle of fear, thinking, and that we're living for a few moments in silence. A line I share a lot here from Rumi, why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? Come out of the tangle of this fear thinking, live in silence flow down and down and down in ever-widening rings of being. We start to, we, we realize if we're present that there's so much space. Our heart can breathe. We can love again. The, as Derek Walcott says, can love again the stranger who was ourselves. I think I have it with me tonight. The time will come with elation. You will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image or idea from the mirror. 
sit, feast on your life. He also said, uh, Rumi said, if you could get rid of yourself just once, the secret of secrets would open to you. The face of the unknown hidden beyond the universe would reveal itself in the center as, as the very nature of your consciousness. Uh, and this is what, this is the sad part, is what, is this, our, the beauty that I see in you is obscured. And I know that, um, that whatever that is, whatever you are, is, is not who you think. But it, in fact, it is who you think. If you think that you are that one that is measurable as above, below, and equal, you will wander a long time confused. So you'll, your life will form around that. But if you, if you practice, or if you wake up moment by moment to what's actually true, life becomes very simple and very much enough. That's why over and over you get the, the teachings of simplicity, like David White's poem, Enough. Enough, these few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here. This opening to life we have refused again and again until now, until now. So the um, so the reason this topic really grabs me is because there are a lot of reasons it grabs me, but it really grabs me because uh, we can't really help it up to this point. Um, we can't help the tendency, the well-practiced habit of. Uh, mistaking our imaginary version of ourselves for the reality. But we can begin to see the difference. And we can begin to, instead of judging all that ego stuff, all that embarrassment, all that self-consciousness, all of that, everything that, that feels so hard to deal with about our, ourselves, which is really, again, the imaginary, the psychological self, um, instead of rejecting that, which we often do, and then kind of hiding away, we can, we can start to really embrace it, can really love it, let it be, let it really um, season us, let it really melt my heart. So whenever I feel now self-conscious or embarrassed, I really do try to, my, my default now is to, is to put my hand on my heart and do a little heart rub and to give myself the Joseph Goldstein mantra, it's okay, it's okay. Because all that is is, is a, a call to come home. Every single uncomfortable feeling is a call to love. It's a call to kindness, to tenderness. It's a call to reclaim my heritage, not to 
keep running away, not, not to then spend all my time trying to, you know, if I'm not enough, then I'm going to spend my time, I'm going to become compulsively try to be enough. And that just keeps the same wheel of samsara spinning, endlessly waiting, endlessly hoping till somebody loves me, somebody accepts me, somebody tells me how wonderful I am, instead of recognizing moment by moment uh, my wonderfulness, not compared to anyone else, but just the wonderfulness of existence. My, my Gratitude for just being alive. Whereas Thoreau says, for what I am and what I have. Which is not much, but it's everything. Like, what, what can we say when we're really just conscious? You can say, all you can say is, I am. But for some reason, just to say I am, it's not, I'm this, I'm that, I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm a... Doesn't it sound ridiculous? I'm a teacher. <laughs> it's got a smell to it. I don't want to deny that I, I function in that role and other, many other people function and whatever. But that cannot, that's an insult to I am. It's an insult to that that raw sense of being, that, that light of attention. And I notice, just as Srinas or Gadatta puts it, he says, when my mind is free of my preoccupations, if I'm lucky enough to be free of my preoccupations, my mind becomes quiet. And if I don't disturb that quiet, I'm kind of paraphrasing what he says, but I can speak for myself as I recognize it in those moments. When... My mind is free of its preoccupation, it becomes quiet. And if I don't disturb that quiet and I stay in it for a few moments, I realize that my, my mind, my heart, is permeated with a light and a love. I've, I may not have recognized a little bit sooner, but I recognize it at once. That's who I am. And I, I may forget that again and again, but that it's bound to return if I remember, if I stay here until all bonds are broken, he says, and grasping at what's next ends and life becomes supremely focused, concentrated in the present. And I stop falling into delusion. And I ultimately, you can't help it if you're here, you just fall into formation with everything and everyone else. And you're uplifted. I'm uplifted by you. Just because I'm here with you and you're, you're, you're freshening you're reminding me again and again if I can see you and if I can hear a sound and if I can smell something and if I can just feel it wakes me up but if I am caught in that if I'm caught in that delusion of myself the story of myself if I notice it I can I can be uplifted by that too. Wow, look at my mind is telling today. Look at how cool I am in that version that's playing right now. Look at what a insecure schlemiel I am in this moment. <laughs> if I can see that, that's, that just keeps returning me again and again to what's true, to that light of truth and awareness. 
But if, I, if it goes unnoticed, I, I wander a long time in, in that contracted state of being separated from the whole. And for that, um, I, when I wake up again to where I am, I want to I just take that poor, neglected body and mind and embrace it because it's just taken a beating. Why do you think we're all so stressed out? We always attribute it to oh, busyness or this. It's because we're not present. We're disembodied. We don't know how to. F- we know how to think about our feelings. We don't know how to feel them. We know how to. How to. Um, We know how to think about our states of mind, but we don't actually know how to recognize them. I'm frustrated. Now, how many of you actually just let frustration be frustrated, recognize that it's a changing condition, that it's not not personal, it's not me, it's not mine, it's frustration. Or sadness, really let sadness be sad. Let anger be angry instead of, I'm angry, and I'm angry because of that. And, of course, if I can notice that my storytelling about why I'm angry, and if I can notice that I'm planning my revenge, great. That's really interesting. But if I'm absorbed in, in revenge thoughts, that's, that's, that's a hard thing on the body. That's, that is incredibly painful. I spent several inter, several weeks planning my revenge with a teacher that I had. It's because, because he didn't love me the way I thought I should be. Didn't, didn't praise me. That's how fragile that version of ourselves is. That it needs... It needs validation because it's tethered to our bodies. Our identity is so connected to the bodies. Bodies always moving, way insecure, very insecure. Because it's tethered to time, our identities are all about where I've been, where I'm going, passing through here on my way to get somewhere, and mostly get old, very insecure. And then it's tethered to all these thoughts. Am I good enough? Am I equal to? Am I better than? Am I less than? So much insecurity in that. Um, There's no rest. So, got to come back. Remember what Thich Nhat Hanh says. You, me, we are the richest, you are the richest person on earth. And you're... Spending all day going around begging for a living. Stop being a destitute child. Come home. Reclaim your heritage. Don't, as Ajahn Chah says, don't let your mind leave your body. As I like to add, don't let your body leave your mind. It's so different right here. But as soon as you start consulting the, your memory to remind you who you were earlier today and who you think you will be tomorrow, you've, uh, you've lost reality. Unless you notice, oh, I'm 
constructing myself based on the past, constructing myself on my worry about the future or hopes, I see that I'm doing that, I'm liberated. But if I actually think that I'm that person, then I'm deluded. You see the difference? Same thoughts, but some known, the others not known. This is why to have the habit of having our mind in the same location as our body, to learn the difference between the actuality of our sense experiences, our immediate, the texture of our lives here, see the difference between that and our imaginary version is just the difference between bondage and freedom. Because this, our thoughts will tell us all about ourselves. So we learn, we have knowledge about ourselves, but we, in the process of learning so much about ourselves, we forget to experience ourselves or know ourselves directly. So the practice of meditation is certainly has an element of learning about ourselves, about our patterns, but it's much more directed ultimately to knowing ourselves directly. Not the idea, but the living reality. And knowing that we are incomparable. Incomparable. Not one of us should be other than we are. This is, I will just punctuate this with my often read, often shared uh, teaching from Ed Brown from the Tassajara Bread Book, one of the Tassajara books. His article that he entitled, Biscuits Beyond Compare. When I started cooking at Tassajara, I had a problem. I couldn't get my biscuits to come out the way they were supposed to. I'd follow the recipe and try variations, but nothing worked. These biscuits just didn't measure up. Growing up, I had made two kinds of biscuits. One was from Bisquick, the other from Pillsbury. For the Bisquick biscuits, you added milk to the mix and then blobbed the dough and spoons onto the pan. You didn't even need to roll them out. The biscuits from Pillsbury came in a kind of cardboard can. You wrapped the can on the corner of the counter and it popped open. Then you twisted the can open more and the pre-made, put the pre-made biscuits on the pan and baked them. I really like those Pillsbury biscuits. Isn't that what a biscuit should taste like? Mine just weren't coming out right. It's wonderful and amazing the ideas get people we get about what biscuits should taste like or what a life should look like compared to what? Canned biscuits from Pillsbury? Leave it to Beaver? People who ate my biscuits could extol their virtues eating one after another, but to me these perfectly good biscuits just weren't right. Finally one day came a shifting into place, an awakening, not right compared to what? Oh my word. I'd been trying to make canned Pillsbury biscuits. 
Then came an exquisite moment of actually tasting my biscuits without comparing them to some previously hidden standard. They were wheaty, flaky, buttery, sunny, earthy, real, as Rilke's sonnet proclaims. They were incomparably alive, present, vibrant, in fact, much more satisfying than any memory. These occasions can be so stunning, so liberating, these moments when you realize your life is just fine as it is. I know your mind is saying, but, 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 but right now. Remember, the teaching of the Dharma is no buts. No buts. Try it for a few moments. Anyway, sorry, I digress. These occasions can be so stunning, so liberating, these moments when you realize your life is just fine as it is, thank you. Only an insidious comparison to a beautifully prepared, beautifully packaged product made it seem insufficient. Trying to produce a biscuit, a life with no dirty bowls, no messy feelings, no depression, no anger was so frustrating. Then savoring, actually tasting the present moment of experience, how much more complex and multifaceted. How unfathomable. A thought, a feeling, ants crawling on the ground in the sunlight. As Zen students, we spent years trying to make it look right, trying to cover the faults, conceal the messes. We knew what a bisquick Zen student looked like, calm, buoyant, cheerful, energetic, deep, profound. Our motto, as one of my friends said, was, looking good. We've all done it, tried to attain perfection, tried to look good as a husband, a wife, a parent. Yes, I have it together. I'm not greedy or jealous or angry. You're the one who does those things. And if you didn't do them first, I wouldn't do them either. You started it. (laughs) Don't peek behind my cover, we say. And if you do, keep it to yourself. (laughs) Well, to heck with it, I say. Wake up and smell the coffee. How about savoring some good old home cooking, the biscuits of today? So let's just sit quietly. beings love again a stranger who was yourself to the one who has loved you all your life whom you've ignored for another who knows you by heart take down the love letters from the bookshelf the photographs the desperate notes peel your own image from the mirror sit feast on your life May all beings feast on their life. May all beings know the sacred happiness that is without sorrow, here and now. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering, be happy and know the causes of happiness. May all beings grow in serenity, equanimity, making space, having room for all the joys and sorrows. May our practice tonight, every day, our life, our work, everything be dedicated 
to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings know liberation. May all beings be free. Listening. I have a couple announcements tonight. Next Tuesday is Happiness Hour. Bring your own burrito at the back of the church starting at 6.30. Please come. It's kind of fun to connect with other people here. It's, we've been doing it now for a little over a year, and, and uh, it's really a nice way to connect with other people. You can now sign up for Donna for an evening of Mission Dharma on the website for those who are interested in doing that. And it can always, you can either do it anonymously, you can dedicate it to someone, or you can have your own name put on there. As you may notice tonight, we, a lovely person who I don't actually know, are you here? Rebecca Burnside was kind enough to offer Donna for an evening at, Spirit, uh, evening at Mission Dharma, which is... $150 a night, but any amount that you can offer to support our room rental is deeply appreciated because it's uh, freely offered to you, and, but it depends on our support for us being able to be here. And any teaching that's offered here by me or anyone else is given freely also, but uh, I or whoever sits takes a seat depends on your support to be able to keep doing it. And a, just two more announcements. Uh, this Saturday, for you and all your friends, there is a, I'm doing a day long at Spirit Rock, 9.30 to 4.30. Um, enjoying Spirit Rock, sitting, walking, learning, uh, introduction to insight meditation, the, the whole gamut. And it's a beautiful way to spend the day. And then the, the next week, we have a, it's a feast right now. Next uh, week, a week from Saturday, we have a half-day, Mission Dharma has a, a half-day retreat that will mark the end of, of a hundred days commitment to practice that uh, many people have been engaged in. And it is also open to anyone in our community or anyone you know who would like to just spend a half day right in the city, uh, sitting, walking, hearing some teachings, and just uh, getting ready for the Christmas, New Year's week. And just a little sneak preview, uh, on December 18th, yeah, I think it's December 18th, uh, next week I'll be here. That's the... 11th, but then the 18th, Tom Moon, who's a psychologist and longtime meditator, who's also led this group several times. He will be giving a talk on, uh, I think it's on heartfulness, mindfulness, and heartfulness. And I think you'll appreciate uh, the way that he offers it, and he'll do some some guided exercises with what he does. And so please come for that. And then Christmas Tuesday, there will not be a group. But New Year's, New Year's Day is a Tuesday night, and I will be here. I'd like to break in the New Year with all of you and as whoever wants to come. So please, we'll have a, it's a fun way to start the year. And then uh, the following week, the 8th of January, we have Arena Wiseman, 
who will be sitting in. So lots to happen here. But please come Saturday to Spirit Rock. The following Saturday, the flyers are still in the back. Is that right? Flyers in the back for our half-day retreat. And it's also on our website, missiondharma.org. So thank you for everything. Thank you for staying and listening to all these announcements. And uh, love being with you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.